a herald is ushered into the courtyard of an ancient Roman villa. To everyone's amazement, he calls all of the slaves to gather round. He has a message for them to attend. And he informs them that the new ruler of the province has defeated their cruel and abusive master in battle. And that master who has so harmed them is now imprisoned in Rome. And this same liberating ruler will soon come to their villa and make this his home. The herald has another message that's very important and he instructs the slaves to listen very carefully. Each slave may choose freedom or may choose to stay living in the villa and be subject to the new master. The choice is yours. For a moment, the slaves are stung by the insult of the suggestion. Granted freedom, what self-respecting person would even think about continuing in slavery? We've had enough of this. Liberation is ours. The insult is quickly forgotten as the reality of this liberation sinks in. There is hugging, there is dancing, there is celebrating. And they collect their meager belongings and run off free at last. But as the dust settles and the jubilant voices fade away, the herald notices one old slave still standing there. And he bellows out, Well, old man, aren't you going to run off with the others? Go free! But the old slave shuffles forward. Sir, he says to the herald, I'd like to know more about this new master. This wise man understood that there is a kind of freedom that is slavery. And there is a kind of slavery that is freedom. Tell me about this new master. The true choice The real issue here was not freedom versus slavery. The real issue was the power and the character of the new master. The master the slave would choose to serve depending on what he learned about him. This is the Roman Empire, after all, where slavery, slavery to the right person, often slavery chosen even by the slave, but slavery to the right person could be a source of honor and privilege and joy and opportunities that were otherwise unattainable for faithful slaves in any other way. Tell me about the new ruler. Who is he? That's the question. This parable illustrates what P.T. Forsyth wrote so memorably. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Last week we considered the good news in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. 
that Jesus has liberated born-again believers from the bondage and the tyranny of sin. We learn that through faith in the gospel, we are united to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Douglas Moo puts it, there exists a life-giving union between Christ and His own that is similar to, but more powerful than, the death-producing union between Adam and all of His own. So the question becomes, who is our head? Who is the Adam with which we identify? The old Adam in sin or the new Adam in that is Christ? As we were linked to Adam's sin in the garden, we are now joined to our new head, Jesus Christ, when we put our trust in His death and in His resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Now this idea of union with Christ, of being identified with Him in His death and resurrection, is not something that we would figure out on our own. It's not just this uh, logical deduction we could come up with, but is rather revealed truth that we must consider to be true. United to Jesus' power, we have been liberated from sin's power. In bondage to sin, we have now been liberated to life in His name. This is news we must respond to. Chapter 6 and verse 11 So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, in union with Him. As we participated in Adam's sin, so now we participate in Christ's victory over sin and His victory over death. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin, here's the truth revealed to us. Here's what we must hold to. Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You are not under the dictates of the law that simply reveal where you break God's law and show you your sin the laws that send us in the right way but never deliver us from our own sinfulness. But now, under grace, Christ has paid the penalty of sin. He's defeated it, and you have entered into that victory. United by faith to Jesus, then, we no longer live under the dictates of the Mosaic Law, the incapacity that it has to liberate us. We now live under the grace of That is under the liberating power of Jesus' death and resurrection which provides forgiveness of sin and empowers us to obey God. This is the truth about you, Christian. This is what the Spirit of God reveals to us about the reality of our life. Sin's bondage has been broken. And for the rest of our lives, we need to live in light of that revealed truth. Well, the Holy Spirit continues His counsel to us at verse 15 as Paul works out the implications of our union with Christ along two further lines. The first being this. We must act upon the news that Jesus liberated us from the tyranny of sin to make us slaves of righteousness with the purpose of making us slaves of righteousness. We find this in verses 15 through 19. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. We're not saved 
Paul has been stressing. We're not saved by keeping God's word. We're not saved by obeying the law. We are saved by God's gracious gift of eternal life through the work that Jesus does for us. There is no other means of salvation. If we're truly tracking with Paul then along these lines, if we genuinely understand the freedom of our salvation, one could easily draw this conclusion. In fact, in some sense, if we really get grace, we ask this question. Are we not then free to sin, since we're not under the law, but under grace? Of course, Paul says, by no means. God forbid. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Here's his explanation. Of course we don't live in sin. As Paul reasons with anyone foolish enough to think that freedom from sin means I'm free to sin, Paul uses this simple illustration. We need to recognize that the master you choose to obey determines the outcome of your life. You've been freed from the master of sin. Why respond to his commands anymore? It's foolishness to do so. It's insanity on some level. So verse 16 do, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Here's the choice. Either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. There is a thought I think every one of us has had. And that thought is this. I have a choice. Freedom or submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's my choice. I have to go my own way, do my own thing. I'm free over here to live however I choose, or over here I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul says, don't think like that. That's foolishness. The choice, rather, is this, verse 16. You can submit on the one hand to sin and to its tyranny, or you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his grace. That's your choice. That's the only choice there can be. Sin leads to death. Obedience leading to righteousness. That is, leading to a life that is aligned with what God desires. So is it my choice of freedom or God? No. If you choose the supposed freedom of sin, living how you feel like living, following what you want to do, living in a way that makes most sense to you, that sinful road will lead to death. It's a reference to eternal death and separation from God. Or you can submit your will, your desires, your life choices, your loves and affections to God. In that case, the result is righteousness, a life that lines up with God's will here and then forever in His presence. I I think it does help us to, and we have to always be helping ourselves here, that slavery in the biblical context is very different than the slavery that we have in the horrors of our own memory as a nation. But the slavery in the Roman Empire, as I mentioned earlier, many people would choose slavery. 
they would choose to be enslaved. The whole issue was who's the master. It's not slavery itself that that was the issue. And again, there's issues of freedom in slavery that we need to consider and what is best and what is right. But going back to that ancient context, you would choose a master many times. If you got into financial difficulty, it would be best and easiest for you to submit to slavery for a period of time. And that's the context in which he makes this point. You can choose sin as your master or you can choose Christ as your master. That's where we are. Now, frankly, Paul can say that believers have made the life-securing choice. He can gladly say that, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In the past, who were they? In the past, who were we? Slaves of sin. We were in Adam, all of us. But now notice, how does Paul describe the person who is no longer a slave of sin? You're over here on this side, you are a slave of sin. Or on this side, verse 17, you are one who has become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Let's pick that apart for a moment. You've become obedient from the heart. When did that happen? It happens when we come to place our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. At that moment, at that time in our heart, we become obedient ones. It's a reference to regeneration when we were set free from sin. Verse 18 will support that. Regeneration results in a changed heart that now desires to obey God's will. This obedience, as we think of that, is to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You see that there in verse 17. That's the, the obedience is to this standard. Now, there is undoubtedly the fact that the Word of God is committed to us. But here, in a bit of a twist of reference, Paul says, actually, we are committed to it. That is, we are turned over to the Word of God. We are turned over to that standard. So it's a reference to the Christian doctrine to which believers are handed over by God's grace. Remember under the Old Covenant, Israel saw themselves as highly privileged of God. The nations lived in blindness. They didn't know what was right and wrong. They didn't know where things would lead. But God in His mercy gave His word to His people. It was a sacred trust. It was light in a cave. And they rejoiced. Now, in Christ, we too have been given the Word of God. We have been given the light of truth. By His grace, we've been handed over to it, committed to it. We have a way to live by the counsel and the Word of God. And so picture this old slave again. He receives the new master and he submits to the new master's ways and rules and guidelines and directives. Of course he does. We notice here that the description of the Christian life is being handed over to the mastery of God's word. Do you sense that in your own heart? I know that I have and I rejoice even more thoroughly than Israel of old that God has revealed his word He has told me how to live. 
and I happily submit to what God is saying? Is there that sense deep within you? The description is this of the, could we say, normal Christian life. It is one that is handed over to the mastery of God's Word. There is no sense here then at all in Paul that I receive Christ as my Savior, I have my ticket to heaven, and I'm now free to live however I wish. That would be, should we sin that grace may abound, verse 1. And are we not free then, verse 15, stated in a little different way with a little different nuance, are we not then under grace free to live however we wish? No, a Christian is one who has been committed to the standard of God's revealed truth and lives under it. So I might be talking to you when I say, if you have no interest in obeying God's word, it doesn't bother you. You, you just you say, I, I know what the Bible says. It suggests that I do this and that I do that. I really have no interest in living under it. If that's where you are, you're, you are under the bondage of sin. That old slave, take him. If, if he's under the old master, then there's that rule, and here we're picturing as sin, But if he submits to the new master, he's under that master's rules. Be utterly insanity for him to come under the new master's guidelines and rules and directions and then to live as if he was under the rules of the old master. So if you're living under the dictates of sin, your own desires, what you want to do, you really don't have any time to listen to the Word of God and allow God's Word to tell you what to want and what to do, it may well be a very strong evidence that you are still under the bondage of sin. I say this to help you. I say this to encourage you to recognize something has to change. Because sin leads to death. The mastery of sin will take you down. There's only two options. Death or submission to God's Word. It makes no difference how hard you've tried to please God in the past. It makes no difference that your family attends this church. If you belong to Christ, then you desire to live in accordance with God's Word. You also know you don't always do it. More on that later, but there's a desire to. A true believer has a desire to submit to the word of Christ. Verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you have then become slaves of righteousness. This follows with what he's saying. Set free from sin means that you become a slave of righteousness. Liberated from the old master of sin, we are now under the new master, our new head, Jesus Christ. And it means then that we are enslaved to righteousness. Our obedience is to God's word. And what does that look like? It looks like ultimately Jesus. That's the picture of it. We don't have this image of ourselves and this orientation. I'm going to become what I want to be. But our picture is of Christ and His character and His purposes. And that's where I'm aiming. I want to be like Jesus. What it looks like is the fruit of the Spirit. It looks like 
What does it mean to be under committed to the word of God and the servant of righteousness? It means to live a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it looks like. We don't fulfill that as we should. We fall short on every one of these characteristics of the Spirit's fruit. But that's the law. The law of Christ is to be like the new master, like Jesus, and to be moving in that direction. Let's call time out here. Isn't there something a bit troubling about this whole slavery conversation? Doesn't it, does it really work? Do we want to talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ as a relationship of slavery? Well, in other contexts, Paul chooses other analogies, different ways of thinking about it. And it's interesting here at verse 19, he's really kind of coming alongside us here and saying it doesn't perfectly work. I will grant you that. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. That is, due to our fallen minds and living in the flesh, we have a hard time grasping spiritual realities. And so analogies help our weak minds and our dull spirits, but those analogies and illustrations are never quite right. They're never quite complete. We cannot speak of our walk in union with Christ only in terms of slavery to a master. But the truth is this, says Paul, As believers, we are committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ who deserves our unrelenting, unquestioning, absolute devotion. And so in one sense and in only that sense, we do relate to Christ as His, can I say it this way, His happy, holy slaves. It's an appropriate analogy. So, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, because of life in this world where sin remains. For, verse 19, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more and more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You notice here the moral imperative. First, we look to the past. You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. You were under the bondage of sin and you were turning yourself over. Your mind, your will, your body parts saying to sin, here you go. I'll use my tongue for sin. I'll use my ears and my feet and my hands for sin. I'll allow my mind to go where I want it to go in sin's bondage. Under sin's bondage. That was you once in the past. But now, verse 19, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That is, come under the Word of God, the standard of instruction of God's Word. Come under that, submit to it, walk in fellowship with Christ, and live turning yourself over to righteousness. The result is sanctification, that is holiness of life. Living a life of moral purity is one set apart by God. So Paul looks backward here. Once 
under the bondage of sin. He looks to the present, to that progressive growth in holiness and faithfulness called sanctification. And he looks to the future, to complete sanctification, that is to holiness in the presence of Christ when we come to be like Him. Now with that idea of sanctification, the making holy, the growing out of sin and into righteousness, with that theme in mind, we come to a second movement in this last half of Romans 6. And that is this statement. We must appreciate that the fruit of serving righteousness is sanctification and eternal life. That's the outcome of this master's way. To serve righteousness results in sanctification and eternal life. And here is our joy. Verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. This obviously does not mean unbelievers have no responsibility to obey God. They certainly do. We understand that. It simply means you cannot serve two masters. You're free from, from righteousness in that sense. The lost are free of righteousness in the sense that they cannot hear the voice of God. They're deaf to it. They are blind to the beauty of Christ. They are callous to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's their freedom. Their freedom then is actually deep moral bondage. Remember those days, says Paul? Remember that time when you were slaves of sin? You were free in regard to righteousness. You couldn't hear anything, see anything, feel anything from God. But, verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What fruit? That is, what outcome did you realize? Not what fruit in the sense of the fruit of the Spirit or something good, but what fruit? Just what simple outcome did you realize in your life when you lived to obey sin? When we obey sin, when sin is our master, the track of our life leads to shame upon shame. That's the way. It cannot lead anywhere else. As I asked that question last week, I ask again, when we think of the mastery of sin, what has sin ever done for you? What good, what ultimate good in your life do you look back to and say, I'm really glad I sinned there. I'm really glad I disobeyed God there. I'm not asking if you found passing pleasure in sin. I'm not asking if sin has ever made you feel better for a while. I'm not asking if sin gained you some advantage in some way or other. I'm asking in the end, ultimately, when you stand before others and speak of your life, when you consider your life before God, what good has sin ever done you? All that it does is bring shame. If you're not there yet, and you're saying, I'm getting a lot of good out of sin. I want to do what I'm doing. I like it. This is the way that I want to go. I trust there's a day. I mean, it's sad, and I don't want you to go there, but I trust there's a day when you're going to come to say, sin destroys. That's all it does. Remember Handel's Messiah? All we like sheep. 
And he just keeps repeating that phrase over and all we like sheep. And it's such happy music. All we like sheep, all we like sheep, all we, and you just you hear in the music the sheep just running over the hills with joy and gladness. But then it's all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the music shifts to that somber, serious reflection and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's a certain place where the joys and the satisfactions of sin run out of gas. And you come to the shame and the destruction and ultimately to the death. This is Paul's strong assertion. The fruit is shame, the fruit is emptiness, and ultimately, if not corrected, the end is death. Separation from God, which is how one lived in separation from God, made permanent in eternity. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what good did that ever do you? It just brings shame. It just brings death. But now, verse 22, here's the beauty. But now, now that you have become slaves of God, Now that you've been set free from sin, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Not eternal death, but eternal life. For the believer who has been justified, obedience to God results in sanctification and holiness. We need to appreciate this truth. Set free from sin, becoming a slave of God, the result, the outcome, is sanctification and eternal life. We will grow if we've been delivered. If we belong to Christ, there will be growth in your life as a follower of Jesus. I know it can be discouraging. You can look at your life and say, I'm not seeing the growth. I just see the continual struggle with sin. It seems like sin is my master. How many moments in my life I've been right in that spot. Really? I'm liberated from sin? It sure doesn't feel like it. It sure doesn't seem like it right now. But know this, Christian. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He will. You will grow. Look long, keep focused on Christ and His Word, do not forsake the assembly, continue to feed on His Word, on His truth, pray with His people, meditate on His truth. He'll do it. He will grow you. There will be change. And it's one of the joys of getting older, is you can look back and say, He has changed me. My desires have changed. There is growth in this area of my life. This place where sin held rule over me, now I see as wholly committed to Christ, or at least much greater growth and improvement. You will grow if you belong to Jesus. Where one has been justified by faith in the gospel, there will be sanctification by faith in the gospel. There will be growth. The response 
We need to go from here with this response is verse 11. He gives it to us here. Not despair. Why don't I see the growth that I would like to see? Not submission to sin because it's so overwhelming and so powerful. But where we need to steer our minds is verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. As I needed to trust Christ for salvation, I must trust Christ has broken the bondage of sin. I have to think a certain way. Verse 12, we must not permit the old master to sin or or the old master of sin to scream at us and convince us that he has power over us. In verse 13, we must learn to present our body members not to sin but to God, using them as instruments to perform righteous deeds. Verse 19, we must present our members as slaves to righteousness. It's not a simple equation. But this is how we must perceive. This is what God has revealed. Sin's power has been broken. And I turn myself over to the Lordship of Christ, to obedience to His Word. And I pray every day that God will grow me and grow His people. And we pray for each other. In the end, sanctification is a pathway that leads then to eternal life. Not that our obedience earns eternal life, of course, but if you have been justified by faith in Christ, you've been saved to a life of obedience, and that life of obedience ends in God's gift of eternal life. Indeed, eternal life is the quality that we enjoy now in our life as believers. Remember that. I have eternal life. I have been freed from sin and I have now eternal life. Remember that the next time you're in a traffic jam. Remember that when you're standing in line at the appliance store. Remember it when your neighbors irritate you. By the grace of God alone, I possess eternal life. It can transform the way we look at everyday life. And also the sad truth that those around me are headed to death. I must shine as light. 4, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. The natural result of serving sin is to die. To be eternally separated from God. People can choose to live in rejection of God, but in doing so they cannot choose their destiny. You can choose to live as slaves of sin, but the result is death. It's like in eternity, the sun goes on the other side of the earth and you're in darkness. The sun being the source of light, being God Himself, goes away. And living as if He's not there now, as if His Word does not bring authority and direction into your life now, in eternity you get what you ask for. God is gone. Don't go there. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is permanent separation from the one master that can give you life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, the free gift of God, the gospel, not by works, not by what we do, but the free gift of His grace in the gospel is eternal life. We have this gift in Christ Jesus our Lord, in our response to His death and resurrection. 
we have eternal life now. And so let's remember that the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Remember the old slave. Tell me about this new master. The herald did. And the slave was deeply impressed. The new master of the villa turned out to be a noble soul who was dependable, courageous, wise, above all kind, and thoughtful toward his slaves. The old slave did not live all that long after meeting the new master, but he served his master for a number of years with great joy. And on occasion, he was privileged to travel to distant lands with his master receiving opportunities he'd have never had had he left the villa with the others into their supposed freedom. He worked hard, but never to exhaustion or injury. He ate well, slept well, served well, and enjoyed his new life like he never knew life could be enjoyed. And the key to it all was the new master. Who is your master? Who are you serving? You may have come in today thinking, I serve myself. I do it my way. I get what I want and I serve my interests. You don't. You don't. You are under the mastery of sin or you are under the mastery of Jesus Christ, God's Word through His Spirit. Who's your master? May I say by way of personal testimony. There was a day I was imprisoned, tortured, a spiritually blind soul, but was liberated from the bondage of sin and death by Jesus Christ. I stand before you as well as I know my own name and my own identity that I was that slave. But from the day that Jesus Christ set me free from sin, from that day onward, it has been my soul's deepest joy to walk in active obedience to the infinitely loving lordship and mastery of Jesus Christ, my Savior. I wonder about you. Are you a happy, holy slave of Jesus? Does your soul surge with joyful agreement to follow His will? I pray it does. Find your master and then find your life in Him. Let's pray. Lord, how may we pray? How may we thank You? We just rejoice together in this liberation that is ours in Christ. We give you thanks. I pray that you would take these themes, these ideas, and that they would indeed change our whole sense of identity and focus in life. I pray that we would not, any of us, point the finger to others. 
blame others for where we are. But I pray that we would recognize that in Jesus there is liberty and life. May we turn to your Lordship. For those who know not Christ, may they not find excuses. May they not cling to that which is killing them and destroying them. May they not run off in supposed freedom only to find that the life, that the life they lead continues to bear fruit to death. I pray, Lord, that we would bear fruit to righteousness. And thank you for the privilege of knowing Christ, our Master and our Lord. Draw each of us to the light of his presence, to the glories of his character and name. Jesus, our Savior, as you have died in our place, we give you praise and honor and magnify your name. Amen.